Hoops Adjacent is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NBA ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The GameTime app is so easy to use. It suggests not only sporting events in your area, but also concert and theater tickets. Also, if you're traveling, it's super easy to search events by location. There are even in-app panoramic seat view photos from every section. It's a quick two-tap checkout, so there's no entering new information every time. Head to the App Store or Play Store now, download GameTime, and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. For the win! I think I rap better than Shay. Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to Who Comma is Jason on the Athletic Podcast Network. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and like the most in his braggadocia. I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than Shaq. With David, David Aldridge. Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Come on. We're friends, aren't we? And then he yeah. cut those lungs out and kept everybody on TV. <laughs> Michael was not your friend. Rodney Lambert. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship monies and can't pay for the charters for the water polo <laughs> in Iowa. Welcome to Hoops Adjacent. Welcome to Hoops Adjacent. Hello, my friends. The comma is... And welcome to another edition of Hoops Adjacent. I am David Aldridge, joined as always by my partner in crime on the West Coast, Waz Lambre. Waz, what is up, sir? I'm good, man. How's everything? Everything's great, man. We have... By far our best guest so far. I, see, I don't know titles. I, I will call him the GM, but I'm sure he has some fancy title, fancier title than that, down in New Orleans with the New Orleans Pelicans, David Griffin, my buddy. Griff, what's up, man? David, I'm doing well. I had no idea we were with Big Waz. If I'd have known, I'd have, I'd have signed up sooner. I apologize. <laughs> That's what everybody says, man. Don't worry about it. It's all good. We are, we are, we're happy to have you and appreciate the time, man. I know it's uh, the start of the season is always a busy time, so appreciate a, a few minutes with you here. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to it. All right. So I'll be the 783,000th thousandth person to ask you when Zion's coming back. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's certainly the question I get asked the most. I could probably get tables in restaurants if I would tell people the answer. Um, <laughs> you know, his, his recovery has been tremendous to this point. He's right where we would have wanted him to be in terms of the schedule. And, you know, we originally announced six to eight weeks and I, I think that's going to end up being pretty accurate. Yeah, I guess it, it's it must be incredibly frustrating. First of all, for him, obviously, but you know your franchise uh, had this incredible um, opportunity uh, with the draft and the lottery to to not only get a great player but a, a, a good kid that um, seems to check all the boxes in terms of potential franchise level player. How do you kind of temper? your own disappointment and then try to temper his disappointment. Yeah, I, I think it was it was hard for us just because we, you know, we had had the undefeated preseason yeah. and you know, if you could crescendo into a regular season, it sort of felt like we were doing that. Um, now, having said all of that, the preseason historically doesn't mean a great deal. Um, and, and we were winning games, I, I think, in large measure because we have incredible depth. 
which is another euphemism for we don't know who our best nine players are. Um, but, you know, our, our third string was winning a lot of games for us, and we were still making a lot of mistakes. Where Zion's presence is really felt is that he gives us enough margin for error to get past those mistakes you make as a young team. And in his absence, we haven't had that margin for error. So with the exception of the Denver game where we stayed locked in for a full 48 minutes, we've had lapses that have cost us games, and we've been highly competitive we feel like we in a worst case scenario should be four and three Mm -hmm. if we would have followed through on finishing off some games and we've also had a couple moments where we just let go of the rope and that was fairly evident as well by way of example in the uh, golden state game at at our place we just clearly let go of the rope and young teams do that when they don't have trust and and belief in in one another and I think we're we're learning how to win together. And so I, I think in the absence of Zion, we've got a finer margin for error there. Griff, I wanted to ask you um, specifically about the injury because I feel like there was a lot of armchair nutritionists, um, body experts, uh, Zion's this, Zion's that. Um, I want to ask you about not because I feel like people make this false binary where either he's in shape or he's too fat, right? Which I think he can be in fantastic shape to play, being an effective NBA player while also maybe be carrying too much weight. Do you, are you comfortable with his frame, with the, with the amount of weight that he was carrying around when the preseason started? Yeah, you know, we were, and it's because he was in such good condition. You know, he's, he's 19 years old. He's still growing. We're figuring out his body. He's learning his body. He's figuring how he's going to eat when he's really working out hard. And, and those are things that take time. It, it takes a while to find stasis with your body. Uh, Blake Griffin, by way of example, was another big guy who generated a lot of torque because mm-hmm. he was so incredibly athletic. And he right. missed his entire rookie season as a result of fracturing his kneecap. So Zion's not the first big strong, great athlete to have to learn exactly what it's going to look like as he goes through an NBA season. And, and frankly, our staff is learning him as well. You know, one of the things that was and is challenging, and I love the <laughs> the comment you made about armchair nutritionists, but, <laughs> you know, tell me the last time you dealt with a guy that's 280 pounds and 9% body fat that gets 42 inches off the ground. Yeah. It, there aren't very many of those guys on the planet. And <laughs> So learning how you're going to give him enough strength to control all of that torque and the stability he needs to control that and simultaneously not lift and gain weight, that's a difficult balance. And so if this was a kid that was fleshy and out of shape, as I would tell you, he probably was in summer league by way of example, then that's a different concern relative to where he was in the preseason and where he was when the injury occurred, we feel really comfortable with where he was. I think Zion's uh, frame in Summer League might have been the one consistent opinion throughout the entire <laughs> NBA intelligentsia. Everybody felt he was a little bit too big. Yeah. In the summer. But that was, you know, fresh off of the draft and fresh off of hanging out. You know, he hadn't played in a while. It's understandable. <laughs> yeah, and in fairness to Zion, when he showed up for his physical here, he was in really, really good condition, was very lean, and he had gotten himself during the process of working up to the draft and working up to his physical here, he'd done a really good job. And his team around him had done a very good job. And I think what happened was 
was once it became fairly clear that he was going to be our selection and everything went well with the physical, I think he let go of the rope a little bit and he'd probably be the first one to tell you that. So when he showed up at summer league, that was what resulted from that. And and we didn't have our hands on him in time to really get him where we wanted to be. So we shut him down sort of as a precautionary measure. And frankly, that's my fault now because everybody wants to say that he's injury prone because, you know, he had an injury in summer league. Well, I mean, not really. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's, it's really more, more me protecting him from the potential of getting injured than it was an actual history. So you you mentioned Blake Griffin and and another comp that has come up, obviously as someone you're very familiar with, which is Amari Stoudemire. But I would, I would venture to say Stoudemire, he, you know, he had questionable knees coming into the league. So it's not like he got hurt in the league. He already had kind of a, not a red flag, but maybe a yellow flag because of the knees coming in, didn't he? Yeah, well, he would have had, I I suppose, in hindsight, you would have said that he had a chondral defect. So Mm -hmm. Amari Stoudemire had a microfracture surgery. And one year, so after that year, he rehabs that season. That next year he comes back, he's all NBA. Yeah. He he came back from that injury better than anybody ever has. Yeah. And it was because he was really lean. His natural body type, you know, Amari at one point was only carrying at that point in his life, he was only carrying about 230 pounds. Wow. So wow. it's a different thing to generate yeah. the amount of torque he was generating at 230 versus what, Zion does it 280 or 270 or wherever it is he ends up once he returns to action. There is a bright spot in your otherwise slow start, and that certainly is Brandon Ingram. And his numbers are off the charts, and especially, Griff, the not just the the, the point the points per game average, which is very impressive, but you know, shooting almost 49 on threes, shooting 552 overall and a 620 EFG. I mean, those are first team all NBA type of numbers. Uh, What have you seen from him so far? Well, it's interesting. I actually think Brandon is sort of continued where he was, where he left off in LA in terms of when he was healthy, he was already producing at a historically great rate. I mean, if you look Mm -hmm. at the number of 21 year olds on the planet that have ever averaged 15 points, eight rebounds and three assists, every one of them is a max contract guy or a hall of famer. So the trend he was already on is sort of where he's picked up on what I, what I've been most excited about is Brandon only wants to win. So there are a lot of 22 year old kids that could drop 40 in a, in a game in Brooklyn and feel like they were happy and satisfied. And that's not Brandon. Brandon wants to learn how to be more accretive to winning. And as he mm-hmm. gets more comfortable in our system, the thing that we're exciting about, excited about is he's learning how to do that. So the last two days of practice, by way of example, were his two best. And it's because he's finding a way to make his team win every game. And that's where he's really going to start to make real strides is he's found some efficiency now with his shot selection. He's found some efficiency as a playmaker, but now he's figuring out how we can get other guys where they need the ball and put them in a better position to succeed. So it's just a great sign for Brandon and a a tribute to his work ethic because the kid never stops. So, you know, the funny thing, Griff, uh, when you when you were announced as, you know, the new GM president in, in New Orleans, I remember thinking to myself and telling people, it was like, I think that Anthony Davis deal is going to get done because um, one day I happened to be listening to um, Jorge Sedano's show. 
here in LA, his radio show, and you called up, and this was around the time where everybody was down on the entire Lakers little young, you know, their young core. Everybody was like, they're not that good. Why the hell would New Orleans want them? And um, Sedano asked you about Brandon Ingram in specific, and you were gushing about Brandon Ingram, right? Like, I remember one of the things you said was, the kid hasn't even barely scratched the surface of what he's capable of. That's what I see from where I sit. Um, now that you've had him, you know, in and up close, has that sort of been confirmed for you? Yeah, 100%. And from a distance, when you're not seeing a kid in the weight room, when you don't see his measurements in terms of the day-to-day progress he's making in terms of his core strength and range of motion and those types of things, you really don't know. But I had said before, he hadn't grown into his body yet. And he's a late bloomer Physically, so he's 22 years old, which a late bloomer, it's hard to even imagine. (laughs) But he's 22 years old, and he's just now able to add weight through muscle and eat enough to keep weight on during a basketball season. Now, I call it growing your man bones, but, I mean, his father, Donald, is built like a truck. He's really well put together. And if he fills out in the same way, Brandon's going to be plenty big enough to really impact winning and losing at the point of attack. And he just has to get comfortable and learn his body, learn what he's capable of, and continue to grow his core strength. Because you're talking about a kid that's as long long in life as you can possibly be who can shoot 50% from three over the top of contest. It's a really rare gift this kid has. And he's so willing to work and invest in the team that you know really good things are ahead for him. Griff, you guys uh, brought in my buddy Jeff Bisdelic, one of the great defensive minds uh, in the NBA as an assistant coach. Uh, The numbers are not good defensively right now. But how much of that? Putting it kindly. <laughs> I was try- I was trying to be Numbers kind. Numbers are an abomination. <laughs> yes, that's correct. I was trying to be kind to both you and to Buzz. To Buzz but um, well, that's okay. We would both be the first to tell you that, Jeff. That's what makes <laughs> Jeff great. He knows that. Absolutely. So, uh, what do you? How much of that is a new system with with vastly new personnel? Eight or nine or ten new guys trying to get used to each other, trying to get the verbiage down, trying to understand how to play together, and how much of it is just we have to do better? I think it's probably equal parts all of that. I, I think the one thing that we've really been uh, besieged by has been injury. Mm-hmm. And when you've got nine new pieces walking in the door, it makes it that much more complicated to find trust and buy-in when the pieces on the floor are changing as radically as they are. We've had 60% of our original starting lineup out of games in different combinations of that 60% all throughout Mm. this process. So our, our, our lack of continuity has been staggering. And I think you see it the most on the defensive side, but one of the other things you see on the defensive side, that's really significant is we're too quiet. You know, we Mm. knew coming in and people thought that we were just artificially trying to dampen expectations. We, We got a really young team and we've got a very quiet team. So somebody is going to have to emerge as, the leader in a more vocal sense and it takes time for that to happen and it has to be organic and real and quite frankly you don't win together until you lose together and somebody's going to emerge from that sort of stew and the thing that I think uh, Coach Bizdelic is has really been 
preaching is just consistency, consistency of effort, consistency of communication, because those are things we control. And when we do take control of those things, we can be very, very good as we were for a large stretch in Brooklyn, by way of example. But when you give yourself 17 and a half minutes to win an NBA game, you don't tend to get great results. (laughs) And I I think just putting it all together in a way that uh, is cohesive has been challenging to this point for coaches. Griff, I'm glad you brought up the continuity issue because, like you said, you just mentioned you guys brought in nine new guys, many of those guys, young guys like B.I., like Lonzo, but you also brought in guys like J.J. Redick and Derek Favors. Um, You know, Derek Favors no longer starting, J.J.'s J.J., but, like, how do you manage those type of things? Because Favors is, he does come from Utah where he's won fairly consistently, right? Um, he's, He hasn't been on a losing team in a in a really long time. Um, How do you manage that with the vets yeah I, I think with JJ in particular he is that vocal leader mm-hmm. and he's the voice that people listen to because he's consistent in his um, willingness to deliver the right message he's been tremendous for us he's been really important for all of our young players I think Derek is not somebody who speaks very much and he's been one of the guys who's been injured and that's really set us back because defensively Derek is going to be in the right place pretty much all the time if he's physically capable of getting there. So as he gets healthier and starts to evolve through his situation, I, I think you're going to see us get radically better on that end of the floor. The the guy that I think, though, is sort of setting himself apart and leading by example has been Josh Hart. Mm-hmm. He's somebody who's competing at a fever pitch pretty much every minute he's on the court. He's rebounding like a four. He's giving himself up defensively in the ways that you want someone to. And as this continues to grow and evolve, I think you're going to see the junkyard dog and Josh be the thing that our team gravitates towards a little bit more. Griff, what uh, was mentioned, obviously, the, the AD trade was was a game changer, right? It's a franchise altering deal, regardless of whether you get bring Zion in or not, that deal is going to reset the franchise. How, how do you think the city has responded so far, understanding that you have a potential great, great player in, in Zion and another one in Ingram emerging, but you had to give up a guy who was already established as an all NBA talent. Yeah, I I think the city's been really behind everything that's been happening here. I think they could feel there was a different energy about this team. Mrs. Benson and her ownership group put us in a position to do some really special things. And obviously, we haven't been delivering on it in the short term. But this this is set up for sustainable success. And I think our fans have recognized that. Um, I I think all of our ticket sales and every metric were were off the charts positive heading into the regular season. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, Zion getting injured certainly was deflating to a lot of people in terms of actually following <laughs> following through and showing up. Um, I'm expecting more of our fans, frankly, here uh, during our homestand. I think they're going to be significantly more engaged because they're learning who these guys are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in terms of people's buy-in for this franchise, I think, is at an all-time high. And I think that's one of the things that was the most disappointing for us right now is to not be immediately delivering on on that is hard. And you have to kind of keep the frame of reference of, look, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And if it's a sprint, we're losing. Let's keep staying in position to win the marathon. 
does uh, odd question, but not really. Does LSU being really good and having an enormous game with Alabama this weekend and the Saints, obviously, as always down there, being the center of attention, does that help you because all the attention, more attention's on them or does it hurt you? Um, I think it all depends on which way you look at it. From a basketball development standpoint and guys growing and learning how to win together, it probably helps us Mm -hmm. because I think people have a very positive attitude here towards sports. This is a can-do city. It's a city that's always going to be one that people don't understand from the outside. But internally, if you're here and you're one of us, you're embraced in a totally different way. And I think they embrace winning. And I think winning becomes a habit just culturally in a city. And obviously, the same winning at a high level is good for us because they're a part of our ownership group and they know how to do that. You know, our ownership team knows what winning looks like. And so they'll invest in that. And our fans know what it looks like and they embrace it when it happens. And at the same time, our fans supported the saints when they didn't win. And part of what makes this such a cool, magical mystery tour is when we do start to win with one another, everybody's even more grateful. Now, Griff, Baton Rouge is not a very long drive from uh, New Orleans. Will you be able to make it to that big game on Saturday? Oddly enough, I will miss that game. We, wow. we play that night. We play that oh. night in Charlotte. So they're going to have to win it without me. I, I don't know how they will, but certainly they will find a way. <laughs> Griff, you, Griff, you can pull rank, man. You can just say, I got some scouting to do down in Alabama. I got to go look at some guys. It's all right. I wish there was more crossover from the football to the basketball (laughs) side to justify that. Hey, now you you mentioned uh, Mrs. Benson and the ownership group that owns both the Saints and and the Pelicans. And we know that her late husband, Tom Benson, uh, bought the Pelicans from the league a few years ago and really kind of put them back on their feet after a really rough patch. Um, And you've also mentioned to me over the years or over the last few months, especially just the the uniqueness of working for uh, a woman owner. And I wonder how that manifests itself in the day to day and also big picture for you. Well, I think big picture, one of the things that's meaningful to us about Mrs. Benson and, and the opportunity she affords us is when we say this is a family affair and that we're raising a family in New Orleans, we really are. This is this is a labor of love on her part. The Pelicans were her her actual love. And when the team got purchased by Mr. Benson, he purchased it because of her. And and this was something that she cared very deeply about. So as soon as she was able to put her stamp on the franchise, she did. And we were really blessed that we were part of, you know, the hiring that she made that, that brought that about. And then being able to invest in somebody at the caliber of Trajan Langdon to be the general manager and mm-hmm. Swin Cash to be with us. She's invested very heavily in bringing in great human beings and then continuing the familial-like approach that they have with the Saints. You know, one of the really unique things here is that we have a family dining hall, basically. So we have a um, family of companies, as it were, cafeteria. And at Mm -hmm. lunch, we Mm -hmm. all eat together. The football players are in there. Our players can be in there. Our coaches are all in there. Their coaches are in there. And it really is like community. It's bringing together a family. And I think that's something that Mrs. Benson cares mightily about. And because she's so invested in the community of New Orleans as a whole, obviously seeing us deliver on our promise uh, for the sake of our fans is really important for her. And she just comes at it from a totally different point of view than most. And I don't want to say that's because she's a woman as much as it is that this is a labor of love and this is her family. 
So be, because of the nature of team ownership, right? Like especially at this point with the NBA and the skyrocketed skyrocketing prices of franchises, you basically got to be some kind of oligarch to to own an NBA team, right? <laughs> um, but in positions of management, like you mentioned, swing cash. Like, what do you think has to happen in and around the league to see more women in positions of management? Well, I, I think one of the things that Mrs. Benson has done is on the business side as well invest in female leadership because she's comfortable in that space. I, I think this is something where in order to really grow in an area, you, you need to invest the, in the time it takes to start to change things. You know, the, the paradigm has to shift and that, that takes time. That's not an easy thing. And so I, I think just taking steps every day towards really being impacted upon by people. You know, diversity and inclusion isn't about checking boxes. It's about putting as many disparate voices in a room as possible and arriving at the best conclusion. And I think Mrs. Benson's of that mindset, so it makes it a lot easier for us. I I can't speak to what other people do to bring that about, but I I know that's been our process. Griff, walk us through kind of the the day-to-day sales pitch um, as you continue to try to grow the audience down there in terms of whether it's, you know, shared media, free media, all of the social media, all of the different things that you all are doing to kind of get people on board and, and what, what works, what really kind of moves the needle for you guys? Well, I think one thing is building a team that's built sort of in the ethos of the city is something that matters. The Saints have always done that. I think we're certainly doing that. You, you want players that, that, you know, for lack of a better term, won't bow down. And that's why it became our, our slogan, because it's who we are as a team. And that's what we want to represent. The, the city is, is so very different from almost anywhere else. And if you're not from here, it's something where, or if you're not one of us, I think people don't really understand what it is to be here every day. This is a very proud provincial place, and it's a place that takes great pride in its resiliency. So our teams are going to demonstrate that. And so continuing to deliver upon that every day is, is the way you you keep them engaged. You know, it's, it's on us to, to deliver everything we say we're going to. And fortunately, because of Mrs. Benson, we've been able to do that to this point. And we certainly aren't happy being one in six, but we, we know we're not being judged over what we do in the first month of an injured season. We've, mm-hmm. we've got a lot of bricks that we need to lay for the foundation of the franchise moving forward. And I think the city here is totally bought into that and they can certainly connect the dots to what a future as bright as ours looks like here. Everybody always talks about player improvement, um, which is obvious, right? Because it sort of manifests itself on the courts and numbers and all of that stuff. But I'm somebody who thinks that a coach can get better, a GM can get better, a president can get better. Gotta, you're right. <laughs> but no, but seriously though, like, what do you think? Like, say from 2016, right, where anybody could say. David Griffin is clearly one of the best executives in the NBA to today. What do you think you've improved upon individually from your Cleveland stop up until now? Well, I just think I've been really fortunate to be with really good players along the way that have taught me an awful lot about what winning looks like. And I've also made a lot of mistakes that I, that I got out of my system before I got here. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not something, it's funny. I, I think of this often in, in the world of sports and obviously the notion of 10,000 hours um, is, is meaningful. I think in terms of the level of um, 
Malcolm Gladwell's Malcolm yeah. Gladwell's book, obviously about outliers, but the level of connection and experience you have in something, the 10,000 hours matters. And I think for all of us, we get better as, as we start to learn and be more experienced in a certain field. And I think any general manager just rolls out of bed being really good at it. It takes time. And fortunately for me, I've, I've survived making a lot of mistakes and we've gotten to the point where we've learned from those, I hope. And one of the ways that I think I've gotten much better is in the area of inclusion and having more voices in a conversation and not trying to rush to the decision that I think is best right away. You you had a, a you know a career that started in PR, moved to the basketball side, um, and then when you left Cleveland, you had a couple of years doing television. And I wonder if that helps you at all with the job now. Yeah, it, it helped an awful lot. And I think the reason more than anything else, and DA, I think we talked about this even there at the set, mm-hmm. it gives you an opportunity to love the game again when you're not judging every moment of your day by the results of one team. Right. You know, when I got to just watch and appreciate how incredibly good the talent in the NBA is, how incredibly good and well-intending the people are around this league, it, it gives you a chance to really be grateful to be back among them. And (laughs) the gratitude that I felt at the time that I left Cleveland was probably pretty waning. And I I think I had gotten to a point where it was clear I needed to step away because I wasn't being accretive to helping others in the way that I needed to. So in many ways, Sam Presti and I have talked about this. I, I could see there being forced sabbatical for NBA executives and coaches and having it be a real blessing for everyone involved that after seven years, you had to step away for a year. I think it just gives you the opportunity to see things in a, in a totally different light and to be much more open-minded to improvement and change without being judgmental. I'm so glad you said that, um, Griff, about sabbaticals, because related to that, I know people in different professions who take what are called mental health days, where basically it's just a day to, you know, decompress and not be in the day-to-day, you know, riffraff in whatever field of profession that you may be in. Yesterday, Kawhi Leonard um, you know, he took a day off essentially, and there seemed to be an uproar about it. I want to know what you said, um, specifically because when during your time in Cleveland, I'm not Cleveland, sorry, in Phoenix, uh, your medical staff had an impeccable reputation, right? Like your training staff had the best reputation in the league. Like you guys took this, this, um, this stuff very seriously. What do you make of the conversation around what, you know, the Clippers are doing with Kawhi right now in terms of load management, I guess? Again, it's not unique what the Clippers are doing with Kawhi. We could say the same thing about what a lot of teams have done with a lot of players. I, I don't think it's wholly unique. I think where it's unique is that this is potentially the best player in our league taking days off uh, in a structured way away from a team that has very high expectations and they're on national TV all the time. So it's a really big story, but it's been happening for a really long time. And I, I just don't find it terribly unique. I just think he's an easy target because of the stakes. The stakes there are so high and he achieved so much last year doing the same thing that it's it's going to be a topic. But I, I just don't think his situation is any more unique than anyone else who's using 
having load load management as a means of you know basically maintaining their bodies through a season. Uh, I, I think what you may see moving forward are fewer people are going to be as tongue in cheek as the Spurs were when they used to put on the on the box score yeah, Tim old. Duncan old. Right? <laughs> I don't think you'll see people be tongue in cheek like that anymore. I think you may see people say sore right ankle. Yeah, but right. the same thing is going to happen it, you know, to your point about mental health days, there are days on your schedule that you can look at when you're playing your fourth game in five nights and it's the second game of a back to back and it's at home after you had to travel and get back at four in the morning. Mm-hmm. Well, you're probably going to think that you're better off not putting your most important players through that grind. And there are going to be games where people just don't play, especially if your mindset is we are playing for deep into June. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not easy. You, you have to maintain that in a, in a unique way. So I, I find value in load management to an extent. And I also find that where we've gotten, and this is certainly not true of the Kawhi situation, but where we've gotten is some players want to be important enough to get nights off. So I think relative to the load management that sort of become the NBA's version of what about me-ism. Right. Um, and I, I think that's an issue. Okay, I but okay. So aside from because I think the science is fairly clear on this. Like, I, I mean, you can look at the Spurs and their extended run with the players they had in the age that they had them at, as far as 2013, 14. Like, to me, the proof is in the pudding about this stuff working. But a different issue to me is like if you're because I don't want to accuse ESPN of propaganda. Like, that's not what I want to do. But they did spend the whole day on that network. Um, just killing this decision, right? And at at a certain level, I kind of understand it. If you're ESPN and you're one of the league's partners and you're part of the reason why the salary cap is what it is and you're part of the reason that Kawhi Leonard could go out and make $30, $40 million this year, you kind of feel the way, right? Like, I'm selling ads against this game expecting you to be there. You're killing my viewership. Do they not have something to gripe and carp about? I, yeah, I mean, certainly I understand where it comes from. I think there just needs to be a more kind of holistic collective approach to the conversation of even selecting games in the first place. You know, we can probably in advance when the schedule comes out, if you told us what schedule you were thinking of us playing, we could probably help you avoid certain games as a national partner. And so maybe we'll evolve to that form of communication where on the front end, we can help protect the networks a little bit. Uh, Griff, I'm going to let you go because I know you I really appreciate all the time you spent here. But I wanted to ask you one last thing because it's something you mentioned a few minutes ago. And it's 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 one of the fascinating things about being in a competitive sport for a living. And that is the, the concept of of process, for lack of a better word, versus results. And we all know the famous Bill Parcells saying you are what your record says you are. It's a results-oriented business and all of that. How does one live on that edge where you can be satisfied with the result, even if it is a loss, if you have done what you expect to do or what you think is the right thing to do in terms of process? I think a big part of it is that you have to have a vision of self as a team and a franchise and knowing where it is you want to go. And Mm -hmm. and you know the metrics you're going to use to measure whether or not you're working towards that. And while in the short term, I can't say that 
process is, quote, better than results. I can say that over the long haul, good process will lead to more important results than Mm -hmm. settling for immediate results. And one of the things that I actually read recently, Brandon Ingram was quoted in an article that I just read in The Athletic that was really well done by Michael Lee. And, And Brandon's quote in there ends with, I love the process of becoming. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was really a powerful line because Brandon is becoming a true superstar and you hope that he's able to grow into that. But his process daily has been spectacular. So if his results end up being spectacular, that that will be all the better. But you, you can only control what you can control and you do control process. See, I worked at Athletic Reference in Wasi. That's a pro. Oh, that was beautiful, man. He's a professional. <laughs> Griff, appreciate your time, sir. Continue. Good luck. We will see you down the road. And I'm sure uh, finer and better days are ahead when you get all of your all of you guys back on the floor. Thank you for your time. Man. Thank you. Thank Griff. you, fellas. And D.A., by the way, just lead with Big Waz next time. People sign up faster. I think that's, I'm going to do that. From now on, again, he's a professional. He knows what he's talking about, people. I mean, yeah, yeah, people yeah. Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Big Hall of Waz Fame journalist, whatever. That's fine. Big Waz is there. I'm in. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that's what we're going to do. Griff, appreciate it, man. Thank you, Thank Griff. Thank you, fellas. All right. The great David Griffin. Is, is something, isn't he? I mean, he's just, you know, so chill and so able to speak honestly about where things are going and, and what he's doing with his squad so far. I just love having, having him on, and hopefully we can have him on again. But I uh, also wanted to talk to you about your Wednesday night because you were at Clippers Bucks and you saw load management up close and personal. Yeah. You know, it was it was one of those things, man, because, again, it is the Clippers and, you know, generally Clippers games are sleepy affairs. Not, <laughs> I don't want to say sleepy. Sleepy is the wrong word. It's just a chill vibe, right? Like nothing, mm-hmm. nothing crazy is going on. But, you know, it's an ESPN nationally televised game right. um, and it was a big, you know, matchup sure. on paper. Uh, so, you know, ESPN had about 20,000 people there. There's a bunch <laughs> of people that I didn't see at the Charlotte game. Right, right, right. There. right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, it, it, you know, it was it was a crazy thing. And before I, I saw our colleague, Johan Buha, Jovan, excuse me, Jovan Buha, uh, before the game. And he's like, yo, man, Doc's probably going to get a grilling at this pregame presser. I was like, why? He's like, this load management thing. The league is saying one thing, Doc's saying the other. People are going to ask some questions about it. But it just seemed like a lot of media people were annoyed by it. They yeah. were just generally annoyed by it. Um, I even got into a conversation on the internet with people where I was like, look, if, 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 if ESPN and people are going to in- inject this economic argument, which is a fine one, a cogent one, it's like right. you guys charge more against the idea that Giannis and Kawhi is a big, big matchup. I pay, get here, and Kawhi's resting. That's mm-hmm. bullshit. Mm-hmm. I get that argument. Yeah. But on Twitter, I, I, you know, I mentioned I was like, take the kids out of this shit, please. Stop mm-hmm. with this. What are we going to do about the dad that's bringing little Johnny to the game and he doesn't get to watch Kawhi and Giannis? I'm like, 
Little Johnny can enjoy this experience. It's an NBA game, guys. Yeah. Like yeah. this is an NBA game at an arena. Like the 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 um the basketball uh the ops people they do they put so much work into turning this into a show. And yeah. you know if you actually do show up to the games, people are enjoying themselves. Nobody was crying because Kawhi didn't play, right? It still ended up being an, an entertaining game. But you would have thought that like. I don't know, like the, the fact that the Kawhi wouldn't play Giannis tonight, that so many people were going to be so crushed. I'm like, look, if you're not ESPN, um, who's broadcasting the game, and you're not the guy who actually paid for the ticket and you didn't get what you paid for, I don't know what you're so pissed about. Well, I was, I, I'll, I'll say this, uh, you know, I'll answer that in a couple of different ways. I'll say, as somebody who, who did his fair share of games for TNT over the years, <laughs> game broadcasts, um, I can tell you that... When a superstar does not play and you have expected them to play and then, you know, whether it's not quite the last minute, but certainly um, the expectation is they're going to be there and they're not there for whatever reason. It's deflating. I'm not. No bullshit. It's deflating. You know, it deflates you as it deflates me. It deflates our broadcast team because you have all these packages and all these things that you have prepared over the last week and all this video and all these graphics that are going to play off of that person being on the floor. So you've done a lot of work going into the game with the expectation that, okay, when, when Kawhi does this, we have this package. Or when he does this, we have this package, you know, or here's how his team plays. Here's how they play in this particular set. And here's what they do in this particular set. And when they're not there, that changes the entire broadcast and it kind of throws you off a little bit. Yeah. So I can understand a rights holder feeling a certain kind of way when the superstar isn't there. Um, Cause it really does change what you're, what you're going to do during a show. Um, now to your point about the kids, I've kind of, I've kind of evolved on that. I kind of agree with you on that. First of all, most 96, 97% of all people on earth never go to an NBA game in person. Okay. Right. Let's be, let's be real about it. Now there's an economic a piece to this that prohibits almost all people from actually ever going inside an NBA arena. You just can't afford to go. Most people can't afford to go. And if they do afford to, if they can get in, they're sitting up in the 400 section. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah. So, yeah, you know what I mean? So, I mean, they're for sitting real. on top of staples. I have, like I the have, roof. Right. I don't have much sympathy for people in the lower bowl. Sorry. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> yeah. You know, same. You got, same. You, you got disposable income. You made a choice to come here. You could have done something else with that money. You probably will do something else with that money. Man. That your kids are going to enjoy next time, right? So, yeah. um, but are there people now? And, and and again, this was a home game for the Clippers. This was not his only appearance at Staples this year. <laughs> so again, I think it's different. I think more teams are at least aware and try to work the schedule so that the majority of these load management days are home games for their guy. Because it is. Because if it was, it was the shoe was on the other foot, and Giannis didn't play last night, and that's the only time I get to see Giannis in L.A. Yeah. unless they make the finals. Yeah, yeah, I might feel some kind of way about I, that, I just, right? and understandably so. I yeah, yeah. like, and that's understandable. It's just you know this idea, and again, it just gets on my nerves because it's media people peddling it, and it's like, it's are you are you self? Thank you. <laughs> Nobody gives a damn about your your job uh, becomes more boring. Sure. Yeah, and nobody at home cares. They don't care, right. <laughs> you know. So I get that. I understand that completely, and um, nor should they care, frankly. I mean, but it do, it does change it. But I get you. Um, now 
I, I did want to ask you, so does the win, Milwaukee wins the game, does it count to you without Kawhi and without PG on the floor? So I'm I'm somebody I think it counts, sure, but I'm somebody who's very low on Milwaukee just generally. <laughs> Coming yes. into the season, um, I, I immediately I, I thought Philly once they did the, what they did in the summer to you know change their team up. I was like, this team is going to be a defensive juggernaut. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. understand how Milwaukee will be expected to do anything against them in a playoff series outside of Giannis just you know turning into an alien life form. Right? <laughs> we saw him make we saw him make four threes last night. He's looking more and more like he hasn't made his threes to start the season, but last night he's taking these threes with confidence. Which to me is 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 half the battle, right? Um, right. So I, I just think he has to be too good. I just don't like their roster talent wise. Um, you know, I love Eric Bledsoe, but he he just hasn't delivered in the playoffs last two seasons. Yeah. Um, the accountant on Brooke Lopez to make thirty footers again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Middleton, like I don't know if you watched the game last night, but you know mm-hmm. you would have thought he was load managing, right, 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 right. <laughs> in real time. You know, um, right. so so I I'm not crazy about the roster. I I just think talent wise they. They down they downgraded from last season. I understand, and here's the thing too. I I realized they were in a pickle with the Brogdon contract, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I understand the concept of he's probably not worth twenty two million dollars a year, but. Mm-hmm. How often in the history of this franchise since Kareem, basically, have they been as close as they are right now to being a championship worthy team? No question. No question. You know, like, yeah, 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 I got you. And it's I think, not my money, right? right so, right. <laughs> no, but I, I, I agree with you. I think Brogdon being gone is going to hurt them a lot more than they believe it, it will hurt them. I just think he is a he is a stabilizer at both ends of the floor. He's a guy that makes good decisions at both ends of the floor, and I agree with you. Now, the encouraging thing to me for Milwaukee was Giannis making four threes, you know, because he was shooting literally shooting 17% on threes going into the game. And so for him to make those threes, he's got to do that, Was for them to have any chance, I think, because we we know what teams are going to do in the playoffs against him. Everybody, We know what they're going to do. Yep. He has got to make some jumpers, and for him to make four threes, to me, is very encouraging for Milwaukee going forward. No question. Yeah, I think, you know, and the big problem for Milwaukee, for me, too, is they don't have creators, right? Like, they don't have a setup guy. They don't have a Chris Paul. They don't have a guy who... You know, I think Giannis is miscast in this role of like, if you remember the Cleveland days with LeBron, the first go around, right? Yeah. Where literally he's just the offense. He's he does doing everything. Every single thing. <laughs> like the like right. nothing can happen if he's not doing it. I think Giannis is miscast in that role. I think he'd be much better if he was freed up to be set up. Because once he catches the ball near the rim, it's over. Right. But now he's having to set up 22 feet out, you know, dribble all the way to the rim, find a guy like he they did. They're just putting too much on his plate. He's their defensive anchor. Like it's it's so much to put on one guy. I just don't think, you know, the way they're presently constructed is going to work for them in the playoffs. And then, you know, the Eric Bledsoe that I saw last night was dynamic. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you couldn't keep him out of the lane. Uh, The jumper was working. He just looked confident. He looked spry. We just have yet to get that from him in a big playoff series yet. So, you know, I'm I'm man. I don't I'm not seeing it for Milwaukee this year, like at all. I think they I think they you know, they probably are a player short 
And so maybe that's something that gets done at the, you know, by the trade deadline. You know, did they take a run at a Bradley Beal or somebody like that? You know, not to say that the Wizards are trading, but, um, you know, I agree with you. I do think Milwaukee feels one player short. Um, the problem for them is that the the guy that's probably helped them get over the hump is now playing in Indiana. You know, they had him last year and he's gone now to your point about spend the money because you don't know when you're going to get back here. But I want to get to your I want to get to your this week's style rankings a new number one at the top our boy dame, <laughs> which you know dame look come on dame here's something i wanted to run i wanted to ask you about because i remember like it was yesterday talking to pat riley a long time ago about clothes and he used to always say you know i want the clothes i want the stuff that drapes on me and and what he meant by that and he wasn't trying to humble brag but his thing was cuz i got the 32 inch waist so the things that i buy <laughs> if they drape on me i look good in them you know <laughs> and right. so i want to i'm curious how much you weigh when you when you look at the guys every week the fact that you look you're talking about clothes on professional athletes so like my boy like my boy Damari Carroll's outfit that he was wearing that Rudy put in his instagram yeah, I mean, I'm a look. If I wore that, I would be the clown, clown prince of all clown princes. I would be clown for the rest of my life. All right, because I don't have. I'm not a professional athlete. So my point is, does everything look good on a pro athlete just because it's on a pro athlete's body? See, I, I I tend to disagree with that, right? Um, like for instance, uh, Montrez Howard, right? He's somebody who takes it very, very, very seriously, right? right? Um, to the point where he's wearing different sneakers during pregame so that you, the Clippers, uh, PR people can get the footage, put it out on the Clippers socials, and all of this, this and it. like mm-hmm. he he's so conscious of what he's wearing. But at the end of the day, like there's certain things that just aren't made for six ten dudes, yeah, right? right. Like right. these guys. Are, are in impeccable shape but it's just not like the you know like some of these designer pants that you might want to wear like it's not made for you or right. you got to go out and get it custom right like, right 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 you know lebron can afford to get tom ford custom right you know right. he can afford to spend three thousand on pants i don't know that every nba player can right even, <laughs> though, many, even though many do right <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think many people can. But I think, you know, the thing about Dame and and for somebody like Montrez is a little bit different, too. Mm-hmm. And we know a, a pretty good amount about him. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we like he's been pretty media friendly. Yeah. Some would say media savvy, which is fine. Right. Like it's everybody's right. Yeah, on okay. a public face, whatever. Yeah. But yeah. we know. So, like we have a body of information on Damon. I think what's so cool about his personal style is that it reflects that. Like mm-hmm. I think he goes out of his way to be different, right? Yeah. Like the thing that Damari that that outfit that Damari Carroll was wearing in that Rudy Gay Instagram post, Dame just wouldn't wear that. But right, that right. that's kind of what's happening with NBA players. It's the more loud, it's yeah. louder, it's gaudy, it's yeah. it's that seems to be the trend. Like Kelly Oubre, for instance, like that's mm-hmm. the that's the NBA, right? Like and right. Dame, what I like about what he's doing is that he's skewed differently. Yeah. He's gone, he's zigged where everybody is zagging. Mm-hmm. And that's why I highlighted the all black outfit. I'm like, see, Dame is keeping things understated and it's in lockstep with things like saying, I'm not going to chase the bigger market, better teammates. I want to be in Portland. I don't care. I'd right. rather try to right. win here. Yeah. You know? Um, well, that's old school. That's old yeah, school. just everything that he's done, he's tried to be different from yeah. his superstar contemporaries. Even the rap thing. 
yeah. where a lot of these guys rap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of them rap. But Dame, like, like as a rap nerd myself, I listen to his raps. I'm like, yo, these raps are thoughtful, measured, mm-hmm. clever, witty. Yep. Like, he's put a lot of time and work into this. Yeah. This is not just some little hobby. Like, he's actually really freaking good at it. Yes. Um, <laughs> so that's what I think is happening, what interests me about Damon, his personal style, and how he's decided to present himself in the public. It's like, I'm not going to do too much. Yeah. Everybody yeah. else is doing too much. Westbrook is doing too much. P.J. Tucker is doing too much. James Harden is doing too much. Like, mm-hmm. these guys are going crazy. LeBron... You know, all of these guys are going crazy. I'm going to go the other way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do as li- little as I possibly can. Every now and again, don't get it twisted. You'll see him in like a crazy Versace print shirt or whatever. Right, right. Um, and every now and again, and it's like it's with a purpose. It's probably some kind of festive. It's, it's, you know, tied into some kind of theme or whatever the case may be. But for the most part, he's keeping it understated. He still looks good. Everything fits well. And it's and it's in lockstep with the story that he's already telling. Which I think is the coolest part. You mentioned last week that you had already heard from some agents that were trying to, you know, trying to push you in a direction. Yeah. So so what's what's the pitch? What's the pitch? My guy's going to wear something crazy. Talk about him. Or is it more sophisticated? The pitch is my guy is actually really into this thing and you should pay attention to what he's doing. Mm. And I'm like, okay, duly noted, duly noted. I'll pay attention. But. Ultimately, nobody was super aggressive. Don't get it twisted. Right. Nobody was super aggressive. Um, you know, of course, there was somebody from a certain agency that was like, all our guys should be on the list. Like, <laughs> of like, course. I don't think that that's the case. But, you know, <laughs> but again, we're willing to we're willing to be cajoled and, 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 and you know, we're willing to move off of a, of a lot of our um, stances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, for the most part, people were nice about it. No, it never hurts to listen. I don't mind listening, but it's it is. I just always it's like, dude, really? Like your guy's making fifteen million a year. He's got to be on the list too. Come on, man. You know, it's just like I know that's part of their job is to push it, but it just you know some guys should be on there just because they're doing different things or they they are zigging like like Dame is. But you know, everybody don't need to be on there. Everybody doesn't have great style. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, so. and 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 I just want the people who are listening because a lot of times I've I've did so we're two weeks in and both weeks I'm telling you and I brought up Kelly Oubre for a reason a hey, lot no, of no Kelly a lot of people have, yeah. have 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 reached out about the Kelly Oubre thing I like will never. Kelly- I like what Kelly wears, but that doesn't mean it's stylish. You know what right. I mean? There you, go. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not saying what he's wearing is bad, but that doesn't mean it's stylish. Yeah, you know, Kelly, <laughs> Kelly Oubre represents everything that this list is not. Um, hey, hey. He's uh, he's he's doing a lot, yeah, and, <laughs> and it's again, okay. it's a subjective <laughs> list, right? Like this isn't right. some scientific measurement, right? right? right. Like um, if you want analytics based measurement right. to player performance. <laughs> we got a lot of that on the site already. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> That's not my thing. No, I'm with you on that. Uh, hey, one thing before we go, I wanted to mention, and it's it's kind of odd and it's kind of parochial on my part, but I thought it was interesting. It's kind of, I just wondered, I wanted to pick your brain on it. Uh, and we should, I should ask Griff this too while we had him on, but that's okay. We'll do it next time. I'm going to go see Elton John in Philadelphia on Saturday. <laughs> He's, he's playing at Wells Fargo on Saturday. I'm going to take my wife. We're going to go up to Philly and see Elton John. And I say this with the following caveats. I like Elton John's music. Don't get me wrong. I like a lot of his songs. But if you ask me, are you a big Elton John fan? I would go, nah, not really. 
<laughs> you know, like I like I said, I like some of his music. I like some of his his biggest hits. Um, I, I don't know anything about the show he puts on. The only reason I want to go see him is because it's Elton John. Because <laughs> right. he's a superstar musician. I've never seen him in concert. I doubt I ever will see him in concert again. And I just want the experience of going to see a great musician perform. And I was curious if there's anybody that you have on a, on a bucket list of guys that people would go, oh, I didn't know you'd be interested in seeing that that person perform um, that you haven't seen yet. Because I always go back. Uh, the reason why I brought this up is because I always thought was I was going to get to see Prince. Mm. I just always thought. Well, yeah. I'll I'll go someday. Someday I'll oh. go see Prince. Yeah. You know, and I remember the NABJ convention in Minneapolis in 2016, 2017, where the Black Journalist Convention, where, you know, it was kind of hinted at that if we went to Paisley Park, Prince was going to perform. So I remember being so excited. And a friend of mine, Kim Kim Bardakian, who works in, in Oakland, who's from Oakland. And we were both so excited because neither one of us had ever seen Prince perform. And we're like, we're going to go see Prince. And it turned out he didn't perform that night. And, mm. But even after that, I was like, well, I'll see him someday. You know, I mean, someday I'll see him. And of course, now I can. And so I want I, I'm, I, I don't want to miss opportunities like this when they come along. Yeah. So first thing I want to say is that um, for me, right, like. I, I go see the people who I like in concert. I like to go see festivals. I like to go see whatever. And then there's certain people like, say, like in Adele, right? Like, I don't yeah. need to see her um, in concert because, one, like, I get what people like about her music. And, sure. like, because it's contemporary to me. Like, I get it already. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's different. And, or even different from something like, say, Sly and the Family Stone, right? Where it's right, like, right. even if I don't see them, I know what the essence of that music is, right? Right. So even if I don't see it, I know the essence. For me, I'd probably want to see something like Bruce Springsteen right. or Billy Joel, right? Like right. things that, like, these guys are still doing, selling out arenas and stadiums and all of this stuff. Yeah. And their music predates me. Like, I don't know what the essence of Springsteen, like, I get it. He's like working class hero from New Jersey right. or whatever. Right. But like the essence of his music is not something that, that I, you know, is I'm intimate with. So I think at a concert in a show venue type of space, yeah. um, I could actually learn something like that. So I'd want to see something like that, something that's not contemporary to me, but also not a, a brand of music that I listen to at barbecues anyway. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny you mention that because Bruce Springsteen is the patron saint of white sports writers. There's like, <laughs> oh, of course. Oh, my God. It, it, you talk about, oh, Bruce Springsteen. Oh, my God, Bruce Springsteen. And it's like, Right, I get it, but chill out. Damn, <laughs> you know, it's like I mean, he was sitting. He wasn't at the Last Supper. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's 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 so crazy to me that so many white sports writers they they just think he hung the moon, man. I mean, yeah. I get it, especially you know? north guys from the Northeast, man. Yeah, but I mean, it's 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 across it's across all sports, genders, everything. You know, it's like Bruce Springsteen, oh, you know. And I'm like, well, oh, I knew I knew right. the Springsteen thing was crazy too because. Um, 
you know, obviously he's a Jersey guy. Obviously, like his whole brand and shtick is like poor working class people, right? Like everyday normal people. Yeah. And you know, Chris Christie, Republican ass, thought he could use Springsteen records right, 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 for right. for his little presidential field campaign. And Springsteen hit him up, was like, "Boy, take that down. <laughs> Got to shut that down real quick." You know. And I wouldn't mind going because he has the show on Broadway. I would not mind going to see him on Broadway. But yeah, would I? Is it like, would my life be incomplete if I don't see Bruce Springsteen in concert? No, <laughs> but I kind of want to see Elton John just because it's so different than what I would normally go to. And I, and I respect his music over the years. And, um, and there's something about going to see, I want to, I want to hear him sing Philadelphia freedom in Philly. I just think that would be kind of cool. So, right. you know, so, so I, I'll tell you, I'll report back next week and let you know how it was, you know? So. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm, I'm interested in that. And I'm sure he's pretty, still pretty crazy with the keys and stuff. Yeah, yeah, Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. And it's probably, you know, a pretty good piano player. So all that. So anyway, we're done. Another episode in the books. I want to thank David Griffin and thank my man Waz for making this a very, very good episode. Very happy with this one. And uh, we will talk to you again next week. See ya.